Hello, listening people. Hello. Hello, Bartek. How are you doing today? Bartek is doing very well. Ryan Slewinski. And how are you, Ryan Slewinski? The first time you said my name, it almost didn't feel like you were saying a name, but like a state of, of being. Mm. Like, I am doing very well, Ryan Slewinski. Um, <laughs> I am doing very Ryan Slewinski as well. Uh, I'm excited to dive into the movie that we're talking about on the podcast today, but... How about you explain to the newbies, the people who haven't listened to our podcast, what we do here and uh, why we're called Spit and Polish Presents? All right, well, listen up, noob. Level 127 Bartek will explain it to you. We are Spit and Polish. <laughs> I was going to be like, you should have used how many episodes we're in as your number reference. Yes, as opposed to the old level cap of RuneScape. I think you're right, <laughs> Ryan. I should have done that. We're over level 300 at this point. <laughs> We are Spit and Polish Presents, and we are doing a show called Pictures Powwow, our weekly show where every week one of us, or perhaps you, perhaps you, perhaps you, recommends a film for us to discuss. The order is me, 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 then you, you, Ryan, yep, Ryan, Ryan, that's me, and then you, you, the listening people. That is how we do it on our show, Pictures Powwow. We recommend a film, uh, old or new dark or light you know it doesn't matter we we just go with what we feel this is a i guess a movie club for both of us where sometimes i recommend a movie that i haven't seen and you haven't seen or you recommend an old bollywood classic or movies that have been close to both our hearts but we haven't discussed it on the pod there's a whole variety and this is a Bartek recommendation this week. You recommended mm -hmm. Grave of the Fireflies from 1988, if I'm not mistaken. A Studio Ghibli movie, uh, kind of. There there's, are two production companies. There's two, yeah. and that's a part of why there's distribution problems with this film. Mm. And it's one of the only ones that uh, Disney is not interested in that's a, that's why it isn't <laughs> what? Why? that's why it isn't bundled up in any of the DVDs or has no Disney dub as mm. they often did for uh, the Miyazaki movies or the yeah. Ghibli movies. So. Or, and relevant for us like it's not on Netflix while almost everything else is. Yes, pretty much everything else is. I think all of the director's work is on Netflix. I was looking at this director I'm like, "Oh yeah, yeah, he did this, 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 this and this." His last film is actually one that's been uh, in my potential recommendations for the podcast. I really liked his last film, uh, the the uh, Princess Princess Kaguya. I think it's pronounced. oh the Princess Kaguya one. Yes. Oh, that was him. Okay, that was him. And uh, having seen that movie, I I can see the connections. He's got a very He's very driven by stories about children and uh, the toughness of what it is like to be young. And I'm going to look up his name. Yes, look I up think... his name. He, he passed away a few years ago from uh, lung cancer, but he was still like in his in his 80s. But you recommended Grave of the Fireflies, so listening people, make sure to give Grave of the Fireflies a watch for yourself. We're going to get into it, and this is one of those films where you should experience it for yourself. This is yes. one that demands your viewership rather than hearing if people recommend it. Do I recommend the film? Yes, I do. I will say that. Yeah, I do recommend we'll the film, that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a tough watch. That's where I'll end that. So go mm. away now if you haven't 
consumed Grave of the Fireflies for yourself. Uh, so Grave of the Fireflies is a movie that I have seen before. I've pretty much seen all of the uh, all of the studio's films, whether they be the ones before they officially were this or yeah. Ones where it's like technically they no longer exist, but they do. Like I, I don't know where Ghibli's at currently. Like it seems like they're still around, but also kind of not. Miyazaki keeps retiring and then coming back, and it seems like the studio keeps going away oh, and then like coming Hideo back. Kojima. <laughs> Last I heard, they are around and they made a 3D movie and a 3D okay. animated movie, and it was created by Miyazaki's son who is uh, infamously not the greatest. He did what is often considered one of the weaker films, uh, Tales from the Earth Sea. Mm. And uh, many people didn't like the newest film, the, the 3D aesthetic, and it was just a bit all over the place. It didn't have that uh, that that charm, I guess, or that maturity. But uh, Grave of the Fireflies, I've seen it, but you recommended this. What's your what's your history, relationship, dynamic with this? Yep. So I have not seen Mr. Director Isao Takahata's uh, Grave of the Fireflies before. Um, end of last episode when I recommended the film, I pretty much gave away right there that I haven't seen all that many Ghibli films. But for a few years now, I've really wanted to get through them in roughly, mm. you know, release order. Um, my history is that some point earlier last decade, I saw like Ponyo with a group of friends just randomly. So I've seen that one. But other than that, I've started from the beginning as of like two years ago. So Yeah, because here in Australia, they uploaded all of pretty much all of them to Netflix. So it yeah. was also an easier push for you to watch them because I remember before it was hard to get them for say down here you had to get the dvds and those are expensive mm -hmm. because you don't just get a dvd copy of grave of the fireflies you get you, you they're always like a deluxe thing where there's a mm. lot of bonus content and a lot of box sets of the Ghibli movies. It is very hard to get Often, them legally before there's, there's, I think there's a joke with anime where it's an anti-drug because you have to, if you buy anime, you can't afford drugs. If you buy yes. drugs, you can't afford anime. That is a great way to go about it. So you've been working your way through them from uh, the films that were made technically before this studio came to be. Yes, you watched uh, Lupin the Third, right? Yes, I've seen uh, not just the early parts of the show, but I've seen Castle of Cagliostro, which was Miyazaki's first film, I believe. Yeah. Um, and then I saw, I actually saw Naushka Valley of the Wind first. Mm. Um, and then last year, pretty much exactly a year ago, it was definitely November, I watched, uh, Laputa Castle in the Sky. Yeah. And I remember since then, I was like, okay, well, next is, uh, oh, Grave of the Fireflies, which I think I said last week I knew pretty much nothing about, which got you and Reese giggling a fair bit. Mm. Pretty much the only reason why I even knew the name is because every time we've brought up, you know, my intended Ghibli journey, you always point out like, oh, there's this one Grave of the Fireflies that's not on Netflix, so, you know, you're going to have to work out another way of finding that. Mm. And I noticed like, oh, that one that Ryan always, you know, warns me about uh, simply for, the, for finding it, not for the content, mm. is uh, technically next on the list because it's like a month or two older than uh, Totoro. <laughs> yes, yes, and there's even pieces of trivia about why yeah. <laughs> they are released in that manner. and There's some fun trivia with that. There's some interesting trivia with this film in general. And also, 
the creator's intentions with the movie is yeah. rather fascinating, considering most people read it in a completely different light. Yeah, so, there's like two or three death of the author kind of situations going on. Yes. And so I'm a fan of the film. I like it, but it is... There's certain films that many people consider to be the I never need to see those again. Mm-hmm. They're so good, but, you know, I never need to see Schindler's List again. I never need to... And Grave of the Fireflies is often heralded as one of the prime examples of that for many people out there. Oh, I never need to see that it's again. It's a great film that you need to see once. Yes, because it is so emotionally devastating and impactful that to bring yourself back to it can be quite a challenge for many people. Mm. And I don't recollect having that sensation for myself, but... At the same time, I haven't been drawn to watch it again since I've seen it that first time all those years ago. I think I saw this when I was about 17. Mm-hmm. And was it the only time you've seen it? Yes, until now. Right. So, but you never forget. No, you I'm never sure forget you, I'm Crave sure of the Fireflies. <laughs> so, I knew that we were going in for a sad one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that this was going to be uh, quite a heavy discussion that we'll be going through with this, but mm. we'll enjoy, uh, we enjoy, we get a lot out of talking about the heavier films on the occasion. So yes, yep. uh, I want to know, what did you think? You walked in not really knowing too much, mm-hmm. and the film immediately opens up being sad. It's like September 22nd, 1945 is the day that I died. I'm like, ooh. There's a lot of information right there. I think I've got an idea of what the tone is, and I seem to remember certain things from 1945 Japan that mm. weren't, you know, the most uplifting things. So, uh, you know, when the missiles started, I was like, oh, okay. This is why Ryan and Reese were having a bit of a giggle when I said I didn't know what I was in for. <laughs> <laughs> And the fact that the opening is a bunch of starving children slowly dying as adults just mildly in- enter, like mildly interact with them. You have one person who's like disgusted at them. You have another one who's embarrassed that their city has these people. So they just throw some food at them. And then you have the adults who are picking through the contents of these dead children's belongings and taking what they want and throwing the rest away and looking at some that are dying and saying, oh, they've got that look in their eye, they're going to be dead soon. And it's just very, it's very inhuman, but also very human at the same time. We have that capability. That ugly side of humanity. That ugly side of humanity. So... Uh, what did you think? Did you, did you, uh, what do you, what do you think about Grave of the Fireflies? I was going to say, did you enjoy it? But again, <laughs> that nightingale type of enjoyment, I think, yes, yeah, would yes. be the, the definition here. Um, yeah, it was a very powerful film and I did enjoy it in that capacity. Yeah. Very effective, very emotional, um, very sincere. Yes. And just like the other Ghibli things I've seen, also looked very nice. Yes, this is a film that is all about its visual presentation and storytelling. There's very minimal dialogue in this. Mm. It's There's even points where the image will freeze so that you have almost a tableau effect, almost a portrait of this moment. There was, I think there was a particular scene like this where... Uh, I think it was after he had seen his mother and he walked outside and, uh, outside of, I guess that school place they were at. And he, and he was looking off in the distance as you could see smoke and carnage in the distance. And it just, just stayed on that image. It just froze like that for, and there was Mm. many moments and lots of use of no sound at all to really 
really hammer in the yeah, bef- tone think, of this. I think before that first line where he's like, my name is this, this is the date, and this is the day I died, there was, like, no sound at all until he started talking. So I had that thing of, like, okay, did I did I acquire a copy with no sound? And then as soon as he spoke, I'm like, all right, there we go. Very deliberate, very deliberate, this movie. There's mm. deliberate visuals and audio choices and cuts and... The way characters are framed and uh, the way characters are written, uh, yeah, it's it's a hard film. Yeah, there was a moment early on which really showed, like, oh, this is the sort of um, you know thoughts and feelings that you'll be getting across in terms of like how the film's going to do it. Mm. It's um, pretty much the f- first chronological scene we see, you know, where they're going to leave the house and they're packing up and things like that, and the missiles start falling. Um, and the, the missiles land and there's fire all over the streets and our main character is, you know, just looking around at everything. He looks at the fire and then he looks at a few other things and it cuts to like mop, water and a bucket. Mm. And then he runs off and it was, yeah, just this thought process of like, oh, is, is he thinking of, you know, extinguishing the fires because of hope for the future or Mm. not? And even though, yeah, there's no dialogue talking about any of that, that was really like the, the, the idea that was being put across, you know, without any sort of overt dialogue and without any sort of events, you know, hinting towards it. it and it leads nowhere, but, you know, the, the communication there was very clear to me. It, it gave us an insight to this character who will come across for most of this movie as somebody who is very responsible, somebody who's willing to take action to survive the horrors of this war and that moment there is him considering do i do the thing and try to take out the fire there's even comments about that from the aunt later on where it's like oh you're old enough now where you could go out and t- you know extinguish the fires with the rest of them and that moment is showing that no he's not there he can't you know whether it was wise or not he's not there yet and many many times throughout this there are how like harrowing reminders that he's a he's he's a child. Yeah. There's points where you almost forget that because he's so just he takes these problems head on and tries to alleviate them or solve them or make do with them. But there are just so many moments where it just snaps you back into reality saying, no, he's a, he's a kid. Pretty much any shot of him where he's not next to an adult, like, you know, he's the tallest in the frame because his little sister is so, mm-hmm. so small. So, yeah, it really does give off this impression of like, well, he's tall and mature, but then, you know, interactions with adults kind of brings you back into reality. Yeah. No, this is just a really young guy. And he has an outfit that also gives him uh, uh, an older look because almost a military aesthetic to him because also that ties into what his dad is and you just you just know that okay this is going to be a character that is going to try but uh, at the same time they're a kid how much can they do mm. and we find out the struggles of that as as we enter so having watched a handful of ghibli movies now yeah and i would imagine too okay before i go there what has been your overall understanding of what a Ghibli movie is before you had seen any or even now that you've seen a few? What has been, okay. what would you walk away saying to someone like, what's a Ghibli movie like? Yeah. Well, certainly, you know, counting the five, and if we're counting Cagliostro, then this is the fifth one that I've seen. And also the first one, not by Miyazaki. So there was a bit of a wild card going into this one. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but based on that, um, based on that prior understanding, the elements that I would say that I noticed from Ghibli films are that often, um, even in the more serious moments, there is sort of a level of whimsy, mm-hmm. um, a level of humor or innocence, um, perseverance, like often the, the conflicts in the films I've seen so far have all been pretty serious, but all those elements that I mentioned before do kind of shine through. Um, and beyond a lot of the emotional stuff, there's also like motifs, you know, like flying vehicles, things like that, which technically this film does as well because it's got uh, the bombers. Yes, and uh, wacky side characters, yeah. usually like a, a band of criminals mm-hmm. who actually have a heart of gold. Yeah, you have, you've had that in two movies, right? You've had like some pirates. The pirates, yes. Uh, I mean, Lupin the third and his crew are th- exactly know, that. Yeah, like in uh, um, uh, Valley of the Wind, right? You yeah. you have like a bunch of those, and then in uh, Valley of the Wind has an evil empire, but like they're good at some points. Yes, and then you have Castle on the Sky, where you have your merry band of pirates. Is that mm-hmm. the one with like the the head of the pirates is a woman? Yeah, the the mama. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and there is a father too but he's just like mechanic yes and he doesn't really talk that much i uh yeah i am similar to you when i understood what a ghibli movie was i would say that there's they're whimsical Mm. there's stuff that you can show for kids oh yeah i've also played nino cooney (laughs) nino cooney there you are they're whimsical they're for children but they're very uh elevated films like for the family i should say yeah uh there's a level of maturity to them but i would say that there's hopefulness humor uh the the aesthetic is very pleasant to look mm. at uh very sweet natured yeah. you have these character designs that make you just sigh and delight when you look at them hence Totoro is something that got released quickly after this because we needed that friendly, happy, happy-go-lucky, sweetheart yeah, for the thing double feature. For the double feature, <laughs> yeah. and that is a Ponyo is another one where Ponyo is like a whimsical kids movie where it does have some hard-hitting themes and conversations and drama, but. That's how I would describe a Ghibli movie before having seen them and now having seen them. I would say another thing that is something that Grave of the Fireflies has very strongly connected to the ones that you've seen and future ones, which is it has a specific message. Like, was it Nausicaa? Was it Nausicaa? I think they pronounced Nausicaa, but Nausicaa, yeah. Valley of the Wind. Very much an environmentalist movie. Is yes. that the one where it opens up with, I think it was made, like, in part funded by the World Wildlife Foundation? I think that's the one, too, where that happened. It might be, yeah. Yeah, and so a lot of the Ghibli movies have a very strong key message that the writer or director is interested in, and... uh Grave of the Fireflies is no different, but uh, apparently the creator of this has some very drastic, yeah. very different interpretations. In, in my reading up about it after the fact, I think I read more about like the inaccurate messages, as he would say, rather than like the intended message. I think like I for every you know five mentions of like no, it's not an anti-war film, you know, kind of rhetoric. There'll be one reference to oh, it's about you know. Um, the negative side to uh, conf- the, the the Japanese idea of conformity and how mm. if you don't fit in with the crowd you'll be separated kind of idea. Yes, and I I really picked that up on this on this watching because, mm. but uh, uh, what all of this was leading to was 
How did you feel about Grave of the Fireflies and where it stands in your overall impressions of a Ghibli movie or movies made by this studio and people encompassing it? I think to add on to like the elements, there's also the the very meticulous level of animation in a lot of the things where, you know, very very minor actions will be very detailed. I remember early on back in that scene, you know, right before the whole mop and water thing, when he's tying his shoes, like mm-hmm. every single action isn't just you know recycled animation repeated mm-hmm. over and over again. You know, it goes around his leg, then he ties it, he pulls it up. Um, that's also a big element. I remember forever ago reading about how in one of the films I haven't seen yet, I think it was Howl's Moving Castle or Spirited yeah. Away. There's some sort of big animal creature and its mouth was animated in such a way to resemble like oh, when you have a pet dog and you're trying to force a tablet in its mouth or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just really fine little details like that. Um, but, yeah, that and all the other elements we mentioned there, you know, even though – even though this isn't a Miyazaki film, it is Ghibli, and I'm I am seeing those little elements here. Um, so I understand definitely why it's considered a Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. It's got the art style as well, um, and it certainly has the whimsical elements. Uh, yeah, because you know we have the little girl character. Um, we have scenes between her and her brother where you know they're playing around, and it is these moments of levity in such a heavily melancholic film. That's what I was going to say, though. This is far more of a far more of an emotionally downbeat film than the ones they've done previously. This is mm-hmm. almost an acceleration of the 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 sadder side and the more melancholic side of the films that we had seen up until this point. This is a very oppressive film in its dictations of emotion and. I appreciate that, but I was just curious what you think because you really didn't know what you were getting into. And no, yeah. So everyone knows this film as a really depressing film, which is not a phrase people use often when it comes to this particular studio. Yeah, apparently it ranks in a lot of lists of like saddest films, most powerful war films, mm. uh, things like that, which <laughs> it just makes it extra funny that I really didn't know what I was walking into. <laughs> I appreciate that this is a film that doesn't hold its punches. This isn't one where you get the happy Hollywood ending where everything worked out just fine and the little girl lives and our main Mm. guy lives because you know, you know very quickly, not even just because he said this is the day I died, but you know very quickly when you're in the story that there's the inevitability Mm. of death. If you walk into this knowing the simple phrase that this film is partly, quote, semi-autobiographical, then you know something very real is going to happen. <laughs> yes, that's that's something to mention as well, that the director of this, he, he, he also went through similar scenarios in the war, right? It was the writer, writer sorry, of writer. the original short story. The writer of the original short story where he's... Uh, yeah, I think it was from 1967. Yes, where he his, his sister died of... Yeah, he, uh, he, the writer was basically Sator, the main character of this. Yes, which... It was Sator, right? It adds an authenticity to it. Mm. It adds this uh, f- flavour of realism. And this is a great example of how animation is just as valid to tell stories as any other way of doing so. Here in the West... We wouldn't make this film animated. 
Mm. We would never make this animated. That's that's inconceivable. We don't do that. That's why, although I'm not as huge into Japanese animation as you are, I respect it very heavily because they have far more of a diversity of stories when it comes to telling them through animation than we do over here. We leave it as just kids stuff often. Mm. Or if it is adult stuff, it's like horny adult stuff where it's yeah, like... Very uh, sophomoric. Very sophomoric, very softcore porn-ish as well. And you would not get such a story told through an animated lens. And I and I appreciate that very much because... A lot of the impact that was had through this movie was that animation, was that friendly design that we have come to expect from these people, and how they are putting it through such a traumatic experience, and there is no dissonance there, at least for for myself, there was no dissonance of these friendly images in these uh, rather bleak moments of history. Mm. I mean, you're a big fan of Japanese animation. You watch a bunch of animes and you consume a lot of mangas as well and you go through that stuff. We've talked about this too. Another thing that we need to consider with Ghibli is for for a Japanese animation studio, they they have very fluid animation in their movements, which isn't always the case. Yeah, it's like Ghibli, Satoshi Kon stuff and a few other films. uh, One thing to mention is that you've definitely seen more Japanese anime films than I have. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so you've got that over me. And often the films are the ones that have, you know, the really kind of smooth animations. When you have anime and stuff that does have it, that's like, you know, oh, wow, this is like peak level stuff. Right. And, uh, I mean, how do you feel when it comes to animation in general, where there is that difference of attitudes between Western animation and Eastern animation, whether it is Japanese or even Chinese animation from time to time? How do you go with that? What's your overall opinion on that? Uh, those differences? Of- yeah, the the difference can be very frustrating at times, especially when yeah, it's it's like the two extremes, as you mentioned, with Western animation. You've got the the childish stuff, and then you've got the very sophomoric, serious stuff. It's like where do we find things that are in the middle? Like we, I guess we agree, kind of that um, uh, into the Spider Verse hits that sweet spot. Yeah, and that's still an IP animated children's film, but it's so much more than that that yeah. it does rise to that level of being like now nah, man if more movies was like were like this yeah and not even the fact that you know it has to be 3d or anything like that like it could have been fine just in 2d as well but yeah. just looking at the story on its own yes and how much of a respect it has for the audience's intelligence and mm. the tonal juggling act but uh yeah i just i remember even recently like we, we often bring up this whole thing like oh they think it's for children the oscars blah 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 yeah, like two weeks ago, completely separate from any intention to do this film, like we brought up the whole thing about like, oh, Beauty and the Beast was it got nominated for Best Picture, mm-hmm. and then they created the new category to as a means of like accommodating yes. animated films, but that just brought about you know new problems. That brings about the notion that animation is lesser than real like live action films yeah and and even if you're looking away from you know any sort of negative connotation like that it's still others the category just to go on a a tangent that is related to grave of the fireflies i read that i think it was in 2010 or maybe around that time they made a 
live action version TV special I think of it was mid two thousands, yeah. Mid two thousands where it was like two and a half hours. And I read that and I went, oh, okay. Then I wanted to know more about that. And now I have not watched it, so I cannot verify it, but it has good ratings and, and, and good reviews. Mm. But the description of it from everywhere I read was it's from the point of view of the aunt. Uh, the aunt, yeah. And I wonder why that choice. Is that what the original story did it from? I, I, I don't know. It's, it's well, it, well, it can't be because the original story was about the semi-autobiographical, like the child, the guy's Yes, but view, sometimes, yeah. well, that's exactly what I think too, but I, I just find it such a interesting perspective I, to go with. And let's not forget, sometimes in auto, semi-autobiographical works, they aren't afraid to write from the perspective of somebody in their life. Yeah. Like Romulus, My Father is a great example of a book that does that, where he writes from the perspective of what he imagined his father thought one of, the, of the world. Yeah, one of great the, book. One of the details that I did read about that live-action adaptation is that the aunt has four children, mm. one of whom is like heavily asthmatic, and so a lot of the... Um, focus from her perspective is you know there are more mouths to feed especially one that desperately needs it mm. so that there's you know higher stakes to accommodating the children and also that you do get a reaction from her in the conclusion kind of thing so those are the only details about it that I do know and that gives uh, something new or something some commentary to make because in the movie she's a very cruel character i guess and it ties into the the statements that we're going through about the creator's intention with the movie rather than it being praised as this great anti-war movie it was more about the commentary to make about japanese culture especially back then where you have to conform to your elders and to these people even if they are being heartless and cruel and in, mm. and inhumane and just awful and this movie shows us the like it says it's not just the positives it's not like oh he runs away with his little sister and they live happily ever after sticking it to the aunt like it shows you that for a little while but then shows you the realities of what would happen if a little if some little kids did that yeah that there is and you, you said especially back then but yeah it is still common these days like mm. there is a very inherent respect for your parents that you need to have in Japanese culture. And, you know, typically if you'd have a story, let's put aside Japanese or Western, like, you know, uh, let's say abusive father, um, it, you know, is an abusive father towards their, their kids. Um, but eventually you find out the reason for it. From a Western perspective, uh, that story might be written to be like, this is why they are like this, but, you know, that doesn't mean that it's right and that they, he should mm. be respected. It's like, it's it's tragic, but this is the way it is. Whereas from a more Japanese perspective, you might expect something more along the lines of like, oh, so this this justifies it and you have to understand this and work your way through that. Yeah, kind it's... Of thing. It's something that I haven't really seen explored in these animated Japanese movies. The way think about all the ones we've covered on this podcast, that hasn't been something that's been a touchstone point in any of them, really. Maybe mm. I don't know. Maybe the closest would be Tokyo Godfathers gets into that. That scratches that. Uh, yeah, we have a we have a father as one of the main characters, and we have a child running away from home. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, there's there's something. But yeah, yeah, I 
I um, what was your what was a scene that really I was gonna say like what's a favorite scene or a scene that really stood out to you or a moment? Oh, there's so many. Geez, <laughs> I, I guess one that did stand out because of um, you know, a sort of whiplash that it does is we have the beach scene. Yes, where that one for the most part is very light-hearted. Almost, you know, beat for beat, but beat, you know, lighthearted, 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 and then we just have that one twist moment near the end where, you know, the the sister finds the dead body and the mm. brother has to, you know, like hurriedly shoo away from that, which kind of harkens back to the beginning of the film where mm. there was the attitude about like you have to ignore that, as well as the air raid sirens start to blare in that scene, yeah. saying that this conflict will always be here. This. Whether it's death or whether it's the Americans, you will have your nice little moment, but that will be taken away. It adds mm. to that inevitability. Um, that was my favorite scene. I, mm. I really like that beach scene. Uh, I thought, you know, although I don't understand Japanese, I thought the acting was great. I just really felt like these were real children, which they were, they of were, course. Yeah. But like the acting that I could discern really made them feel like real kids that I would be watching at a beach do that. And the animation was gorgeous in that sequence and the amount of details they would put in when the little crab came out, I smiled and I'm like, <laughs> oh, and then it went sad as this often does. All right. Cause the crab letter to the body, the yeah. crab letter to the body. And you know that the crabs isn't going in there to eat him. <laughs> That's what it would be doing. Um, but I, a thing that I like about a Studio Ghibli movie is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, there's that element of the slice of life to it. For most of the film, I was, yeah, really feeling like, even though this is such a sad film, this this is like a slice of life. It's just that the life is a very dark moment in Japanese history. And I was going to say, you're, you're familiar more so than I am with your... Slice, slice of life stories. Mm. Uh, this is one of the few that I've seen where you do have all of the positive attributes of the slice of life. Because when I've seen slice of life stuff, there's just this uh, general warm feeling. Mm. This this sense of say uh, it reminds you of when you're on summer holidays or something. Mm. You know, there's that sense. There is of- a subgenre of slice of life, which is the Japanese term for it is iashike which is a word that means healing, where it's a slice of life that is specifically meant to give you, you know, like those warm feelings, like you're mm. in a comfy place. Um, uh, my Our friend Will and I, uh, we watched an anime at his house over two sessions not too long mm. ago called uh, Girls Last Tour, mm. which is about two girls in a post-apocalyptic world. You know, they're struggling to survive, um, and it almost sort of kind of parodies post-apocalyptic stories because it goes into Mm. a lot of these things of like, you know, what happened here? How are we going to survive? How are we going to get through this all? But always what comes out in the end is, well, at least we are still together. We can ponder over over these things, but whatever the true answer is, it doesn't really matter. Let's just live our lives through it. And it's a very, even though it's very like a bleak world, the, the attitudes are very positive and uplifting. Motivational and, yeah. Yeah, I don't even, yeah, I guess motivational would be a word for it. But, yeah, it's got that uplifting Iyashike quality. And that's what I was going to bring up is this movie has that many times, that warm feeling of, oh, look, they've bought their own thing to make rice and mm. this stuff. But 
throughout all of it, there's that impending foregone conclusion. Yeah, that foregone conclusion. And I, I personally haven't seen the mixing of the two like this before.、Mm. And I was just curious of if there's more like that out there. If there's more of that blending of the the that warm feeling that you get from a slice of life. With the with the doom and gloom as well, because、mm. I also know that you have your 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 really fucked up, like depressing, sad Japanese material out there where it is far more bleak. But that was the thing with Grave of the Fireflies. Everyone talks about it as like top ten sad movie, but a part of why it's sad is because it's it's genuinely happy at points. Like、mm. it is effective at communicating and capturing. In the ninety minutes, that's also a thing. It's not a long movie. It wasn't no.、Uh, that real sense of well, coming of age as well. Like there's a coming of age aspect to this. There's the、uh, bond that you have with your family and your sibling. The things that bring a smile to your face. Like look, a little crab. But then it would always come back to the sad. Yeah, even in the the in media res thing at the beginning, like when. The first we see of the sister is, you know, she's already dead, and it's like the ghosts reuniting. Like、mm. it literally does kind of feel like, oh, this is the last shot of the story, and、mm. it's framed in a happy way. So it's it's almost like, yes, there is a tragic ending, but in the afterlife there is positivity. So. Yeah,、it's, I again, it, like you said, it's a really interesting blend. I also thought it was very.、Uh... Masterful when you had that sequence at the end where we have the the little girl, the sister after she's died, but we're getting all of these moments of what she was would have been doing at that cave when she was alive, and then she would fade away, and then it would come back to another version of her doing something like this one's building a sandcastle, and then it'll fade away, and then this one's sweeping up the cave with a broom, and then it'll fade away, and it's just. That is the perfect balance of reminding you of the sweet times of this movie and how they're gone now. Like she's、yeah. gone now, and that is gone now. And yeah, I I really loved the last shot of the movie where it is him and her sitting on that bench, and you slowly start to realize it's them looking at modern, modern day, day Kobe. Yeah, and it just is. They're these. There's the. They're these ghosts of the past, and. The horrors that they went through hopefully are no more. That's how I got. That's what I kind of got from it. Like they're looking on happily at the progress、mm. that's in front of them,、uh, yeah, even this, though they never got to live to see it. I mean, yeah, this movie was made forty-three years after when it was set. So during that time, yeah, I'm sure there were many sort of struggles that Japan was going through, but.、Mm. Probably not to the extent of you know being bombed every other week, as we know from lots of iconic Japanese media. There is a a nationwide trauma from the Second World War that comes up again and again and again. It is something that still rings out because it was such a horror. It was.、Mm. Or a magnitude that we still haven't encountered ever again. Yeah, that World War Two was just one chapter in like Japan struggling to reach where it is right now. Because yeah, from from fifteen hundreds up to like somewhere in the eighteen hundreds, they were basically stuck in a feudal state. Like think、yeah. about other thing, other places in the eighteen hundreds. Like you know, that's like、mm. what Black out of Three, maybe. Yeah. You know, it does look a bit more like the developed world. There was a renaissance, things going on, 
mid 1800s to you know World War Two, they had to very quickly you know mm. go through industrial revolutions, things like that, to reach the modern day, create the police system. You see some people still carrying around swords in the film. We we uh we saw this when we did the the Handmaiden. Mm. Where that was set in a time period where we saw how the Japanese in that movie it was the Japanese, wasn't it? The Koreans and the Japanese relations. Yeah, yeah, because the guy was pretending to be Count Fujiwara. And how we saw that they were from a slightly different step than the Koreans. Mm. I had a moment in Grave of the Fireflies that just like kind of fucked with me. It was, it was there was a shot where they were walking past a streetcar, mm. and I just giggled to myself like, ah, a streetcar named Desire. They're finally getting there, and I realized this film is set like six years before that, or maybe like two years yeah. before. Like, this is like at the same time as uh, uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. We've mm. seen what America looks like at that time. Pale face. It's like. Yeah, this is the same time period as those stories. Yeah. It's like, it just looks so and different. As everybody knows, you have iconic pieces of work like Godzilla or Akira that are very hard-hitting commentaries of what they went through during that war period, especially when it came to being bombed from the nuclear, from the A-bomb. And so it's just... Yeah, I understand a little bit more so now why the why there's pushback from the creator of this not being an anti-war film. I think you have to like, you know, I think most people are going to take it that way because it does live in that world, but I think that there is merit to very strong merit to what they were going in creating this. Yes. It just it is that you put it in this setting. And you have such unflinching, just such unflinching, like, horrors and and terrors from a war setting. A war that really defines the culture of Japan right to this day. People are going to naturally look at it as an anti-war movie. And that's the nature of the beast of sometimes these creators will make something with a very specific mindset, but the audience will will take it another way. And that's not even saying, like, people don't see the methods of or the meaning that the creator was having here, but there are so many other elements at play. There is also something to be said of, like, you know, being able to understand what the creator feels through his work. So for all of those points that were mentioning, like, oh, he wasn't intending for this to be an anti-war film, there was the concession made that, the guy actually does have anti-war beliefs. Yes. And so, obviously, that does come across in the film. It's just, is that the main thing that he was going for? Having seen some of his other movies, Mm -hmm. I totally understand when he says he's looking at it from that, that point of view of that cultural thing of rejecting the conformity, but also the bond between children, uh, that is something that comes up from time to time in his work. Uh, like I said, his last film, Princess Kaguya, is a movie that is very sad and melancholic, and it deals with a child, and it deals with children and youth, and how you have to conform to uh, hierarchy, and you have to be the princess. And there are other movies, although sillier, you have, uh, um, uh, forgetting his name, Pom, Pom Rocco, which is one about uh, fer- um, raccoons. I did read the name of it. And that yeah. film's very silly, but it's a very scathing critique on specifically Western capitalism bleeding its way through 
Okay. Over there, and just and you don't expect to hear that when I talk about the movie where the raccoons inflate their testicles and bounce on them. <laughs> That's that movie, and yeah, and, and that very, one's also by Isao Takahata. Yes, yeah. yes. I was looking through his uh, his uh, filmography because I was like, yeah, he he consistently made some of my favorites. Okay. In, in uh, I, I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, I think off mic, but. I think my favorite, and I, 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 unfortunately, I don't remember the title fully. I can't remember if it's a whisper of the heart or something along that line, mm-hmm. where the creator, uh, the director of that was Miyazaki's like right hand man. Like he was the guy who did all the animation, and he was oh yes, built up me. to be the next Miyazaki. Like and that he was, was his only film. Right? That was his only film because he yeah. had an aneurysm, and it was just a shock. And Miyazaki really, really didn't know how to handle that, and that's why he had to push through being the guy himself again. But that was one of those where it's like, damn, because that movie was really good. It's one of those unfortunate things. But uh, yeah, Grave of the Fireflies is a, is a tough watch, but it's not sad for the sake of being sad. No, for sure not. No. No, because there are those movies where they wallow in the, the darker sides of life because that's artistic. Mm. That's more meaningful than if you had the avenue of whimsy. I brought up Black Adder 3 already, but there was that one scene in Black Adder 3 was like, can't you see we're being depressed or something like that? <laughs> uh, I do recommend Grave of the Fireflies. For sure, same here. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? Any moments, any characters or scenes or anything? Um, I'd say the part that choked me up the most, didn't end up crying, but choked me up was when he was putting the lid on her casket. Yes. Yeah, that was that was yeah, pretty tough. Oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. I um it's my turn to recommend a film mm-hmm. for the next episode of the podcast. And my neighbor Totoro. My neighbor Totoro. Yes. Yes. No, Pomrocco where we have raccoons. No, it's going to be out of order for me. But <laughs> it will be I can't remember which film he the director did after Grave of the Fireflies. I'd oh, have I have to can, I can look it up. Yeah, I think I, it's not long after, from what I remember looking at the uh, list. But uh, yeah, I I have a few options, and I want to go back to science fiction. I'm in the mm-hmm. mood for sci-fi, and I'm in the mood for a sci-fi that I haven't seen. Something that's more recent, uh, and it's got an actor we both like in it. What uh, Bra- really? Brad Pitt. Bradley Pitt? Bra- I was going to say Bradley, because <laughs> I was going to be funny, but then I was like, no, I'll just go with Brad. Brad Pitt came out with a movie a couple of years ago called Ad Astra, which is a film that I am just interested to see. I, It's a movie that I know a little bit about, but uh, it looks interesting to me. It looks visually pleasing, and uh, it's a movie that we'll have plenty to discuss about next week. It's one of those movies where I know that there's going to be things to get into and to talk about. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about Ad Astra. I want to keep saying Ed Astra, but it's Ad, Ad Astra. It's Latin. Okay. Um, so people, make sure to check that out. In the meantime, look at that for yourself. Uh, you can follow us on the social medias of your choice, mainly Facebook and Twitter. In fact, only Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Spit and Polish. Yeah, we presents. don't use the YouTube community function. <laughs> we could. But I don't. Um, if you want me to, I will. But I'm not doing it right now. Feel free to look up our one post about, like, Venom or something. Venom, Venom, gotta go get... Oh, no, I'm getting copyright struck for just <laughs> even saying it. 
So um, do you know what the next film this guy did? Yes. So um, it's the third next film after on the list. Uh, it's called Only Yesterday. Ah, yes. Only Yesterday. I've seen that one. That's a, oh, yeah? That's more of a slice of life movie. Okay. And his next one after that is, yeah, Pompoco. 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 So... There we go. That is it. You can rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you use to do so, whatever ones allow it, and email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com. Send us a message directly there. If you want to recommend a movie to us, just message us and we'll put it in the list. We're always on the hunt for more movie recommendations from you, the listening people, but... That is all we've got time for today, Bartek. That's all the discussions I've I've got for Grave of the Fireflies. I've got to lay down now because this movie is a lot to watch and a lot to talk about. Yeah, you've got to rest off that malnutrition, right? Yes. I've got some watermelon for you. Oh, thank you. We didn't talk about it in the episode, guys, but it's like the last meal that she had when she was dying of malnutrition. So the joke is Ryan's going to die. I'm dead already. <laughs>